ทสามกัวทัวรหัตัวสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะกัวทัวรหัตัวสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะกัวทัวรหัตัวสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะพุทธังธรรมังสังขังนมัสสะAnd this was the uh, occasion, July, when the Buddha gave his first teachings. And something that the Buddhist community throughout the world have been celebrating for the last 2,500 and something years. And the reason that it's been celebrated is because it's so brilliant. It's not just a belief system that. Uh, Somebody gave 2,500 and something years ago, uh, but it was something that we could do. And so, these teachings on the Four Noble Truths. Sajin Punya gave a talk on Saturday night on the Four Noble Truths. The most well, all of us who are Buddhists would, I think, agree that the most brilliant formulation of the spiritual discipline. For realizing liberation, you know, freedom from ignorance, freedom from suffering, and, and so also this evening, an occasion for celebrating, taking delight in Matt taking the eight precepts of an Anagarika, joining the spiritual community because he wants to do this. He wants to practice uh, with commitment, and so on this full moon occasion, it's a skillful thing to to bring to mind. Our faith in the Buddha's realization, yes, but also to renew our commitment to the practice. Sometimes, uh, like lots of other things in life, we can take our good fortune for granted. Here we are in this uh, benevolent, wonderful country, Great Britain, where so much is so fortunate and. All the uh, the abundance of water that we have here. Yeah, there's lots of places on the planet where they don't have the good fortune that we have, and and so we can take all this wonderful fresh water that we have here in Northumberland for granted and be wasteful of it. And well, likewise with the the good fortune of coming across spiritual teachings that that you don't have to compromise your intelligence to go along with. In fact, you can question every aspect of it, and the more you question, the better. And, and so, this um, this really is something worth celebrating and something worth renewing and reminding ourselves. And particularly on this occasion, where now Anagarika Matt taking these eight precepts and making a commitment to join the spiritual community and take on the disciplines of the spiritual life and the renunciate form. 
it's very uh, be very skillful to to really bring to mind and be quite clear about your intention on this occasion. What is your intention for for taking up this life, for for giving up the convenience of of uh, the householder's life and taking on these inconveniences. Uh, yes, there are many benefits and many pleasures and many joys of living the renunciate life, but uh, I think if it was such a, a great deal, there'd be lots more people doing it. <laughs> Actually, it's very difficult and, and very hard work, and uh, hopefully uh, taking making this choice quite consciously and you know what you're getting yourself into, um, in which case, be very clear about your motivation. Yes, I'm willingly giving myself into this training because I want to be free from suffering, because I'm tired of unawareness and want to realize what the Buddha realized, which was limitless awareness. The Buddha's limitless compassion, the Buddha's limitless wisdom is something that we have so much faith in that we want to give ourselves into it uh, with this degree of commitment. And so... The reason I emphasize the, um, the importance of making intention very conscious is because there is, like the water in Northumberland um, or so many other good fortunes, there is a real chance, a real risk, a great likelihood, in fact, that you will forget your motivation. And when we forget and take, start taking things for granted, well, then we get distracted. And that's what so often happens in the holy life. People go forth, pick up the disciplines of the spiritual life and with sincere aspiration and, and um, some clarity of heart and mind and, and then as the time goes by, tend to forget this motivation and then when we forget, we get lost. And that's a pity because there's no point in putting up with all these difficulties and austerities if we're just being miserable but not getting any benefit out of it. Well, I suppose there is some point because maybe we remember later on and it's not totally pointless and uh, if you become disillusioned you don't want to run away straight away, you want to wait a good while and, and try and remember this moment, try and remember this occasion of going forward. What was my intention? My intention was like this. I'm interested in not getting lost anymore in experience. The Buddha wasn't lost. The Buddha's awakening, the Buddha's liberation was liberation from being lost, was awakening from being lost. And from the time of his enlightenment onwards until the time he died, the Buddha was never lost. Whatever experiences the, the Buddha had, the agreeable and disagreeable, he didn't get lost in them. Uh, now, it'd be a mistake to think that the Buddha only had agreeable experiences. Uh, Sometimes people have this, this notion of enlightenment that um, from the moment of enlightenment onwards everything is absolutely wonderful and you, you're floating around with your feet are not on the ground anymore and you never get indigestion or arthritis or, or feel disappointed with your obstreperous disciples. All uh, the Buddha actually let us know that that's not the case. The Buddha did suffer from arthritis and did feel disappointed with his, his disciples who, who didn't get the message very clearly and uh, didn't follow his instruction. And, and however, for the Buddha, even though there were 
this whole gamut, this whole range of experiences for the body never got lost. The, the difference between the Buddha's experiences and our experiences is not what he experiences, but how he experiences them. For the Buddha, because there was so much clarity, the Buddha was no longer seeing through the clouded prism of unawareness. The Buddha was seeing with clear view, with right view, constantly, so he never suffered. But we do suffer because we make mistakes. We don't see things clearly. And so taking on this training and uh, renewing our enthusiasm and remembering our motivation for taking up this practice is remembering this effort, this effort that we need to make in the moment to see where and when and how it is that we're getting lost. So it's not just a belief system. The faith we have in the Buddha's enlightenment, the faith we have in the Dhamma is a wonderful source of inspiration and encouragement. But more than that, we need to have we need to have an interest in what the Buddha was teaching. So there's four noble truths that we just chanted, the Dhammachaka Sutta. The first noble truth is 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 bringing to awareness this experience of dissatisfaction, of disappointment, of stress, of frustration, of pain. This experience that we all have. You'd think it was obvious because pain is so all over the place. you think, well, why do we have to have a religion for it? Well, the fact is that uh, the nature of the deluded mind is that this is the last place we want to look. We, we, in fact, we use our mind, we use all our resources, we use all our skills to avoid this reality. Even though this reality is ever-present, we're always disappointed. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just around the corner. Uh, whatever is going on, no matter how happy we are in life, then happy, unhappiness is not far away. You know, however glad we might be, then sadness is not far away. And physical, dis- uh, physical frustrations and so on are, are um, not far away. And, and yet it actually takes the Buddha's realization to encourage us to put effort into this discipline of bringing attention to bear on this experience and get really interested in it. So first to accept it, say yes, there is this frustration to stop lying to ourselves about life and and pretending that it's all wonderful and that we're happy all the time when we're not. Uh, Not to go to the other extreme, which the Buddha also talked about and we we chanted the um, Dhammachaka Sutta there in the beginning of it. The Buddha said, well, he did spend the first 29 years of his life distracting himself by trying to be happy all the time. But then he spent the next few years by indulging in misery. Atta matani yoga, self-mortification. He said, that's not it either. So we're not indulging in our tendencies to distract ourselves with pleasure, but hopefully we're also not indulging ourselves with a tendency to sink into despair but making an effort to realize that quality of awareness, the Buddha called the middle way, whereby we open to the experience of disappointment, frustration, with interest. And so, so the second noble truth is this, is getting so interested in this experience here and now when it's happening, it's free, this experience of, of limitation, of limited being, and say, what am I doing right now? What am I doing right now that's bringing this about? And so this life of renunciation that uh, Matt has just committed himself to 
is uh, set up with in the aim of supporting this inquiry, this, this investigation into what am I doing here and now that is making this experience different from the way the Buddha experienced it. And when we ask this question, well, we could get frustrated and confused, but thankfully we have the Buddha's guidance in this matter. And we say, what is it that I'm doing? What is happening here and now? And we always come across the same experience, the same aspect of reality that the Buddha called deluded self. Basically, we, we mistake this experience of reality and we... Because of this mistake, we create this misperception, this compulsive misperception that we experience as me and mine, self. Me and mine, over and over again. My way of doing things. What I want. My rights. And so our, our practice if we have faith in the Buddha's teaching and we're inspired by the example of the Buddha and the great teachers, those who realize the Buddha's teachings, is to direct our interest into not just avoiding suffering, which we spent a long time doing, but finding a skillful way of directing our attention into recognizing it here and now. And this, and this in itself takes a lot of effort. We so easy go into the past and blame the past. Well, it's so easy to go into the future and worry about the future. But to make the effort to bring our attention to here and now and see what is, what is this self? How is this self? How is me and my way manifesting here and now? Mm-hmm. So in formal practice and in daily life practice, we investigate this. We, get, we have... This confidence in the Buddha's way, but in their everyday life, we have this experience of the commitment to my way, this feeling of, of limitation, of disappointment. The Buddha didn't have that. The Buddha used to have that, and he talked about it a lot, how he was free from that experience of, of limitation, free from sorrow, pain, lamentation, grief, and despair. Yeah. So he knew these things, but because he'd seen into them and seen through them, he was free from them. And his encouragement was for us to do the same thing. And how does this actually manifest in terms of practice? And so, uh, particularly on this occasion of uh, Matt taking up the Anagarika precepts to reflect on the, the, um, the training that we have in the monastery. Mm. The opportunities for recognising this, you know, Monastic life is generally boring. You know, the, um, all of us as, uh, as householders, lay people, probably invested quite a lot of energy into making life fascinating, scintillating, exciting. And, but we probably all exhausted that and realized, well, you can only go so far and then you collapse and get tired and you recuperate and how many times you want to try and rev yourself up and go after more excitement. Well, then there's this other alternative of stepping off the wheel and turning the light of awareness inwards and investigating this whole, this whole momentum of seeking contentment through gratification. 
my way. So what is the difference between my way and the Buddha's way? In our monastic training, this is, this is the question. And how do we deal with it? Yeah. Where, when and how? Where, when and how? Where, when and how does my way manifest itself? And how do we meet it in a way whereby we're not defined by it? So over and over again, as the years go by in this training, we keep coming back to that. Keep coming back to this, this same question. And I, I can personally think back to many occasions in, in my life and years of training as a monk where, with varying degrees of success and failure. But looking at this, and, you know, how it manifests in daily life and how it manifests in, in formal practice. I've often spoken about an experience I had which um, um, put it, uh, settled in my mind quite vividly of when I very uh, newly arrived in England and was living in Chithurst Monastery and a generous donor had, had offered all the uh, tiles to re-roof Chithurst House. And they'd been put out the front of the monastery, the truck came and unloaded all these tiles. I, I forget now how many thousands and thousands of tiles there were those of you that have seen Chitter's house or at least seen photographs of it know how big it is, this mock Tudor mansion with so many, so many square metres of roof, I don't know, but many, many thousands of tiles. And they were put in the wrong place. And so I was told by the work monk at the time to move them. And so I set about doing it. And it was a pretty innocuous job, really, but... There was something about the, the boring nature of this job. It was frustrating. It wasn't interesting. Now, I don't remember now exactly how much of a problem I made out of it, but this kind of a circumstance comes to us regularly in this life. Here we are asked to do something that in itself is morally neutral, but it's not interesting. What's the problem? What is the problem? That's the question. Where, what, and how am I making a problem out of moving these tiles. I mean, actually, it's a generous offering from this lovely man to re-roof a house. What a beautiful thing. And we don't want to have that old roof because it's leaking and the house will fall down if we don't repair it. And So it's a useful thing to do, and yet one can easily make a problem. Well, interestingly, as soon as I move those tiles to one place, they need to be moved again in another place on the property. And... One could start thinking, well, why didn't that work monk think that through before? And blah, blah, blah. And the, and the mind can start churning out these stories about the incompetence of the work monk. And the, well, the question is what's the difference between my way and the Buddha's way? Would the Buddha be making a problem out of moving a few roof tiles? I doubt it. Yeah. But I'm making a problem out of it. me. My way is manifesting. And this is what we want to get to know. This, this momentum when we're feeling driven. So I don't want to do this. My rights. I want to be respected. Excellent. When we see that, how long does it take before we can put our hands together and Anjali and say, welcome, wonderful, this is exactly what I want to see. This is the very place, the very time, the very action that I am being born. This is where I am being born. This is where I am creating suffering. If it was the Buddha in the situation, he wouldn't be creating a suff- any suffering out of it. It was the realized great teachers, they wouldn't be creating suffering. But right now, there's somebody creating suffering out of the situation. 
So the question is not if it's going to happen, it's when it's going to happen, because it will happen. And the question is how long does it take before we remember to bring awareness, to open ourselves, taking a deep breath and saying, oh, here we are again. This is my way. I'm so pleased to see it. Now, of course, if we're caught up in Atagina Matana Yoga and self-mortification, we then get all heavy on ourselves and say, oh, I'm hopeless, I'm... After all these years of practice, here I am still caught up and blah, blah, blah. That's just getting, that's just more indulgence. It's all indulgence. Are we indulging in getting lost in pleasure about how wonderful we are and how great we are, which might happen from time to time? Maybe your meditation is such or your contemplations are such that they provide you with mountains of bliss and well-being and contentment, and that's great. But do we get lost in it? Because if we get lost in that, well, then the chances are when conditions conspire to be otherwise, we're going to get lost in that. The Buddha didn't get lost. The Buddha was awakened from this compulsive tendency to get lost in experience. And our faith and his example inspires us to keep making the effort to remember. And so when we remember, we're grateful. We don't just go to the other extreme and indulge in, in more self-criticism, which is very easy to do. And so then we, in fact... We look for experiences. We become interested. We become more interested. And that's what increases over the years. Instead of looking for more happiness, it might be better for us to look and if we want a barometer for practice, to say, like, how interested am I in suffering? Not how free from suffering am I, but how interested am I in suffering? How, how quick can I bring my attention to look into the reality that's taking place in this moment where there is this collapsing of awareness around experience and this creation of a problem which is called me and my way. Mm. And when we start to feel for that, start to see that, well, then we look for opportunities to go against it. And this is what sometimes the people in the world don't understand about renunciation. They think renunciation is a dirty word. They think that we're some kind of masochist giving ourselves a hard time. What's wrong with eating in the evening? What's wrong with listening to Mozart? There's nothing really wrong with eating in the evening. There's nothing really wrong with listening to Mozart unless you're getting lost in eating in the evening and listening to Mozart, which, of course, most people tend to do. So because we're interested in not getting lost, we're willing to give up eating in the evening and willing to give up listening to Mozart and whoever else because it brings frustration. This is a course in, in conscious frustration a course in applied frustration that we're taking on. Not because we're sick, hopefully. We're not too sick. Not because we're just blindly believing in suffering, but because we're interested in seeing the reality of it. And so instead of avoiding and distracting ourselves from it, we want to lean into it. And we look for opportunities. And so in the monastic life, you see this boring situation. We all wear the same robes. We all do the same thing. We all bow the same but sometimes a little movement comes on and says, well, I'm going to do that different. Yeah. All these monks you know, wearing these boring robes, I'm going to roll my sleeves up. I'm going to roll the jackets, sleeves of my jacket up. Or I'm going to grow my eyebrows. There's nothing in the Vinny that says you have to shave your eyebrows. So, or I'm going to chant, do the chanting different. All these monks from Thailand, why can't they learn to speak Pali properly? We had this a few years ago, a young monk here, I think he'd been a monk for one or two years, and he decided that we didn't know how to chant the Nut Mortis up properly, and so he started chanting the Nut Mortis up differently. 
he wanted to set us straight. Well, who knows, probably his Pali pronunciation might have been better than ours, but what was it that drove him to think that he had to do what was different? That's what's interesting. So my advice, my encouragement to be with him is, well, see, you know, just do what we do for five or ten years and then you can choose to chant the chanting differently. Mm. I was having a very interesting conversation with Ajahn Jayasaro yesterday and and he was uh, talking about a similar circumstance in Thailand where some years ago there was, you know, a, a group of young monks decided that, that you know, our tradition didn't have it right. We didn't pay enough attention to this aspect of the teachings. And so they were going to just do the pure Dhamma, the pure practice, and, and we're going to give emphasis here and forget about Wat Pong emphasis on, on the training. We're going to do it the pure teachings and... As in Jayasara was saying, what occurred to him was this, um, he said, it's like, it's like somebody coming along and saying, well, I'm not going to speak Thai or I'm not going to speak Pali, I'm not going to speak English or German or Hungarian or Spanish or whatever else. I'm going to speak language. So, well, life's not like that. You, know, you don't speak language, you speak a form of language. You, know, you speak Hungarian or Spanish or Italian or Russian or Norwegian or Lithuanian. And so it is with the training. Those of you who are new to the training will see that there's certain emphasis put on aspects of the training. This is how we light candles and incense. This is how we wear our robes. This is how we do the bowing. And even if it is slightly different from the way it's done in another place, or even if it's slightly different from what you read in the scriptures, if it's not clear moral, well then the training is that we surrender ourselves to it. That's the question. Can we surrender ourselves to it? If it doesn't compromise the precepts, then the training is can we surrender ourselves to it? And, And that's worth remembering. When we're bowing... We're not giving away our power to graven images or anything like that. We don't have to worry about that. But what we're doing is we're training our body, our whole body-mind, to surrendering ourselves. We lower ourselves in front of that which is realized. The principle of perfect wisdom, perfect compassion, boundless wisdom, boundless compassion, as realized by the Buddha, symbolized in the Buddha image. We symbolize our commitment to training, surrendering ourselves by lowering ourselves in front of it. So actually, it's strengthening to lower ourselves. It's strengthening to be able to do what other people do, to chant like other people chant, to light incense like other people light incense. It's strengthening to not have to be driven by our compulsive conditioning. Now, of course, that's not something that we just believe in and imitate, but it's something that we get quietly interested in. And how do we... How do we come to this deepening of a commitment to the training? By not avoiding suffering when it arises. And that's what renunciation is. We're renouncing those things, those distractions, which meant that we couldn't see what's really going on. And these distractions, compulsive tendencies and habits that it's so easy to build up, we renounce those because we want to see this. And little by little, hopefully our ability to recognize it in the moment as we're doing it 
means that we grow in confidence. And as I was saying, we look for opportunities. Instead of following our tendencies to have to be different, have to be unique, have to be an individual and display our individuality, we look for opportunities. How can I fit in better? How can I be less conspicuous? How can I be more helpful? See, if you go to a monastery and you recognize the monks that are really harmonious, the monks that are really contented, are the ones that tend to fit in. We fit in by looking for opportunities to bring concord and and harmony in the community. Like every Monday, the rubbish bins get put out. Well, most Mondays, sometimes it's a day out, but the rubbish bins get put put out and the, the truck comes and empties them and then the bins are sitting there waiting to be put away. So we walk past them. There's an opportunity to take the bins and to put them back where they're stored. Or do we wait for Gambiro to come out and put them away. Yeah. Or somebody's name is on the dishes list and actually it's inconvenient for them because something has come up. Do we sit there in silence or do we put ourselves forward and say, I'll do the dishes? Yeah. Yeah. Do we exercise compassion? Do we exercise letting go of my way and give ourselves into the Buddha's way and do what's appropriate in the moment? Nearly always my way is actually easier. And so again, that's why renunciate practices are not easy. But we don't take them on because we're somehow getting off on giving ourselves a bad time. We take them on because we want to see these compulsive tendencies, these tendencies of distraction, these tendencies to do what's easy and in daily life practice, but also, as I saying, in formal practice. You know. yeah. Most of us have probably had some sort of experience in meditation where we willfully concentrate on our meditation object and, and the mind manages to somehow drop into some state of ease or relative contentment. And that's certainly preferable to the state of distraction that we're used to most of the time. So then what do we want to do? We want more of that, that good feeling, that, oh, that good feeling of, of, of being focused, of, of not being distracted all the time. And so what do we do? We just exercise our willpower more and more and more. And so we hammer away at our meditation object. But, you know, the Buddha didn't teach just pāvanā. The Buddha taught dāna sīla pāvanā. So, yes, of course, one of the spiritual disciplines is pāvanā, cultivation of the heart. Yes, samādhi's got its place. But if our imbalanced, distracted, compulsive tendencies, our commitment to my way are what's determining practice, if the commitment to my way is what guides us and motivates us, well then the risk is, the chances are, we'll just show ourselves even more out of balance. But thankfully, we have the teachings from the Buddha, have the examples of the great teachers that remind us, dāna sīla bhāvanā. The instruction that's given for bhāvanā or meditation, cultivation of the heart, there's a presumption that actually we've already got dāna and sīla in place. Probably, if if most of us, our first inspiration with practice was meditation. And it wasn't for that, maybe we wouldn't have gotten started. I think that was certainly, I would think that was true in my case and 
I know when Ajahn Chah came back from a visit to America, he was speaking about his experience there, and he said, oh, there's no, there's no point in teaching those Americans about dana and sila. sila. You've got to teach them about pavana first. You know, teach them about meditation. But not just about meditation. His point was that when they learn to recognize the peaceful mind, then they start to naturally recognize the place of sila and dana. Now, if our practice is way out of balance, we don't recognize the whole path of practice. We just keep hammering away at our willful effort in practice to get more concentrated, to block out the frustrations of life. We're not interested in the reality of frustration. We're just trying to avoid it. We abuse the spiritual disciplines in pursuit of our deluded egoic tendencies. So it's wise to come back and remember this whole path of practice, dana, Generosity is spirit of a selfless generosity of giving. Sila, a principle of integrity. Dana, sila, bhavana. Not just let ourselves get thrown out of balance. It wasn't that many years ago. I can remember one of our monks, very sadly, wasn't being given very good instruction, and he just uh, he was a very impressive sitter. He would sit for hours, where a lot of the monks were were falling apart and he would sit there in lotus and he could sit there hour after hour after hour and doing all night sitting meditation and, and other monks couldn't do the all night sitting meditation they'd get up and go out walking go off make a cup of tea and go and distract themselves by listening to a tape or having a conversation come back do it a little bit more and this monk was still sitting there roared upright and impressive and was he peaceful? Well, maybe he looked peaceful on the outside, and that's how it can be. We might look peaceful on the outside, but what was really going on? The forces of delusion are formidable. That's where we have a whole body-mind training. We don't just do what I want to do. We do what the Buddha encouraged us to do, this whole body-mind training. And Sadly, that monk ended up having a psychotic episode, and He was suicidal and ended up leaving, not in a very good state. Hmm. Just following my way is not necessarily the Buddha's way. When my way and the Buddha's way are the same way, well then we have that unshakable contentment that the Buddha had. Until we have that experience, well then it's wise and skillful to remind ourselves to rekindle over and over again this interest in What is this reality? What is this experience? What is it I'm doing in the moment? Where, when and how am I turning this experience agreeable or disagreeable into a problem? Hmm. Shall we train ourselves with this? Another good way to train yourself is uh, like that experience, uh, that uh, that emphasis that... uh, uh, Ajahn Punyo's uh, Upachaya, Tanajan Mahamon, used to encourage his disciples, says, you want to think about how you train yourself? Train yourself in a way whereby you become a monk that everybody else wants you to not leave the monastery. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants you to stay in their monastery. Now, there are monks like this. There's other monks who actually people would quite like them to leave. Yeah, so to consider, am I somebody that everybody wants to have stay here or am I somebody that everybody wishes I was going to live somewhere else? 
We are serving harmony, we're serving concord, we're serving the Buddha, serving the Dhamma, serving the Sangha. In fact, in any given circumstance, in any situation, if we don't know what to do, we're feeling confused. What should I be doing in this situation? It's quite likely that thought might arise. What should I be doing in this situation? Well, we can prepare ourselves. Instead of thinking, what should I be doing in this situation? So I get my practice together again. So I, uh, We could ask the question, what would a servant do in this situation? Mm-hmm. Not what would I do in this situation. What would a servant of the triple gem do in this situation? And let this contemplation guide us, motivate us. So thank you very much this evening for your attention. And the Mayang Dhamma Vadakatasa Dukarang Dhamma Sim Sadu Sadu Sadu